Uh, let me tell you what I'm going to do here. I've got a series I'm going to be doing here, God's Crazy Amazing Plan. All right. This church is, uh, it's got a transition team. It has an advisory council. Uh, but I want to kind of uh, go above that and talk about who we are as God's people. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that's going to be my text today in if you want to open your Bibles. But uh, it's going to take me a while to get there. But uh, anyway, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says to the Ephesians, I pray that your eyes will be opened. And that is one very powerful phrase because for the most part, we just kind of live our lives and, and God's a part of it. But we, if you're like I am, if you're like most good Americans, we, we have so many distractions that we have to sort of pull God into our life from time to time. We've got to stop. Uh, years ago, I, I heard a pastor from China, and I, he didn't speak a word of English. He was here in the States. I was speaking at a discipleship school, and he was a guest there for a couple days. And uh, it was at, at a time when it was very, very difficult for people to come and go from China. China has become more of an open nation in the last 20 years. And I'll never, I have, I have no recollection uh, about what he talked about, but I'll never forget how he introduced himself through an interpreter. He said, I've been in your country for two weeks, and I found that it's very difficult to be a Christian here. You know, we're reading story of we're reading stories at that time of martyrs in China, people meeting in cold basements in Mongolia. So you, we can identify a little bit, okay? Um, he said, "I found I found it's very difficult to be a Christian here." He said, "You have so many distractions." You know, that's that's the downside of being a blessed nation. We have so many distractions that we have to kind of pull God into our lives. And uh, so my prayer is for your eyes to be open as we begin this series. I'm going to talk about, uh, well, this week I'm going to talk about who are you. We're going to answer that question. Next week we're going to talk about what are you doing here? You know, what what is in every single moment of your life? And, of course, this is something that will relate to everybody individually, but I hope it has some overarching application to the process of change that this church is going through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this good fellowship of people. We pray, Lord, that we will be one in our hearts toward one another, toward you, that we will provide a core for kingdom work in this community. There are far more people in this community who don't go to church in Phoenix every Sunday morning. Only about one in seven people in Phoenix is in church. And Lord, it's similar here in Santan Valley. There are only two church buildings. And Lord, we just pray that we will not allow this fire to go out. The investment of so many years, Lord, to be set aside. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for our future. I pray for this year. I pray for this series. Lord, I just pray that it will lift us into a new dimension of faith and hope in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Who are you? My question for you today. Who are you? What are, what are you doing here? 
Can anything good come out of Santan Valley? <laughs> yeah, a lot of good people moved during the recession and left their homes vacant, right? Um, who are you? Okay, I, I had a personal answer to this question uh, when I was leading our, our church, uh, really toward the t- end of my tenure there, a friend of mine by the name of Bill Hammond came and did a special service for us. Uh, Bill Hammond is known, I think, more in maybe Assemblies of God or Foursquare, you know, more Pentecostal circles. He has an extraordinary gift to pray for people, and he prays very very specifically about uh, people's lives. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this. All of us have experienced this in one form or another. You know, it's kind of like, you prayed for me, and that's exactly what I needed to hear. And he ha- he has what the New Testament would call a prophetic gift. And uh, he, he was praying for people. He's prayed over my wife and me a, a number of times through the years. He just turned 80, uh, and he's been a, a real influence in my life. And so I asked him, I said, are you going to be in town for a while, Bill? I'd love to have you come and pray for our staff. Uh, we had we had a staff prayer meeting every week. Um, I, I just had it. It was a big church. We, we had 75 full-time staff at the church. And so we had a weekly church service with our staff. And Bill didn't know any of them. He knew me. I was the only one in the room that he knew. And, and he just had people come up to the front and, and just prayed for them as God led him. And he prayed things that were so specific. There's no way he could have known uh, what that. Uh, there's no way he could have known these things about these people. In 1 Corinthians... Uh, the Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, uh, if, if, if everybody is prophesying, he said, uh, the secrets of the hearts will be laid bare and people will say, God is really among you. You know, I've always felt like when people come to church, they want more than just a teaching. They don't just want information about their religion. They really want to meet with God. And, you know, for people to leave today and say, you know, God was in that service, instead of just saying, well, you know, what would you think of that? You know, kind of like you're at a movie, and you're walking out to your car in the parking lot, you know, so what did you think? Did you like it? You know, you can say, you know, what did God say to you? And Did you experience God in that moment? And so I had Bill share a little little bit about his story, and then he prayed for people on my staff. And... um, he prayed for my, my personal assistant, her name was Sherry, and uh, he, he was just praying for the gift of intercession to unfold in her life. And, you know, he said something, God has given something to the effect, God has given you a gift of, of organization and, and admin, you know, he didn't know she was my personal assistant, but she's so organized and, you know, she, I'm, I'm a creative kind of loose cannon kind of guy and, and she was, you know, you, you know, we have to have people like that in our lives. And and uh, and and then he said, but God has really called you to, to a ministry of intercession to pray for people. And she came to my office after the meeting. She was just in tears. She was just emotionally overcome. She said, you have no idea how much that prayer meant to me because that's that's exactly what I felt in my heart. I just have felt so uh, so moved to pray. And I said to her, I said, you know, we lose sight of this. We're working in a church. We're doing God's work, and we lose sight of this. We have to pull God back into the church work of the church, remind ourselves, we need to pray. And I told Sherry, I said, the biggest gift you can give me as my assistant is to pray for me. 
Not just organize my life. Not just help me with appointments. Uh, that happens with church people. You know, we got the business of the church to take care of. Uh, my, uh, our, our, our business administrator, Tammy, uh, she had her uh, CPA and just was an extraordinary uh, gift to us. And uh, he was praying for her, for, for, for her to uh, give her life in serving others and that God was going to use her to counsel with people and give them wisdom. And uh, after the meeting, she came up to me and she said, what was that all about? She said, I'm supposed to counsel with people? I don't even like people. You know, you know, sort of like, well, you know, I said, Tammy, she's a single mom. Uh, I knew her husband, and he left her. It was, he was just a he was just bizarre kind of guy. She raised two children as a single mother, worked full-time at the church, and both of her children, extraordinary. Uh, one went to Columbia University, another one's in medical school. As a single mother, she raised those kids. I said, Tommy, Tammy, you have some things that you can share with others that go way beyond your ability to balance the books of this church. And I, I walked away from that, and I, from that meeting, and I felt like God spoke to me. And this is what he spoke to me. It's right there in your notes, and we're going to put it up on the screen. Okay, you are, do we have the next slide? Let's see what the next slide says. You are much more than you think you are, and God's plan for your life is much greater than you can imagine. It's right there. You've got a little note thing there in your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. You are much more than you think you are, and God's plan for you is much greater than you think it is. Than you can imagine. Uh, you know, we we have to we have to kind of step outside of the swirl of all the distractions of our lives and say, "Who am I? And why am I here? Why am I here in this home, in this neighborhood, in in this job? Who am I? What am I doing here? I'm going to focus on that next week. What am I doing here? This is a new year. What are you doing here? Is your relationship with God just a one more thing that you can kind of fall back on when everything, else, everything is going wrong? Or do you really see God at the absolute center of everything that you're doing? The question, who are you, in many ways is, is answered. That's, it's the ultimate question of life. And it's answer, answered in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, little Bible background. Paul wrote this letter uh, to the Ephesians, and there's no book in the in the Bible that tells us more about the church and who we are than Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I want to give you a little background, because when you understand the background, it gives you a much better understanding of what Paul is going to write, especially in chapter 1, which happens to be one of the most ridiculously profound chapters in all the Bible. It is so profound that there are a lot of pastors who never really preach from it because they don't know how to really explain it to people like you, you know? Okay? But I'm going to try. I believe in God, I believe in God's word, and I believe in you. Amen? Okay. So, uh, Ephesus. I was actually there. My wife and I were in Ephesus. It's in present-day Turkey. Uh, it was a great city. In fact, it's thought to have been the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a thoroughly pagan city. Not only did they didn't just have... They didn't just have a liberal, democratic, socialist president. Okay? If you've listened to carefully to Fox News, 
Okay? They had an emperor who considered himself to be God. Okay? I mean, we, we have to understand, this is not the Roman Empire. Okay? They were a pagan city. It, now, this city, uh, you know, Santan Valley, probably 85% of the people in Santan Valley don't go to church, but th- this is not a pagan city. We have, we have some Christian roots that have, a, have had a profound impact on our values, on the way we relate to, we, we relate to one another as human beings. Um, we have Christian buses in Phoenix. They don't have those in the Arab world. They have special access points for people who are disabled. Those are Christian buses. We have hospitals. Care for the sick. You don't want to find yourself in a hospital in Yemen. We have Christian values that go very deep in our country. We are, we are not a pagan country. We are increasingly post-Christian, but we are not pagan. And one of the, it was one of the four largest cities of the Roman Empire. It was an epicenter of art and architecture, education, economics, culture, and everything in that city, every building, every street, every back alley was in the shadow of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I don't know how many have been to Washington, D.C., but it's an impressive city. The buildings, you just, you feel this is a center of world power and government when you're in Washington, the White House, the Capitol building. But the city of Ephesus was in the shadow of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Can anybody tell me what that was? No? The temple of the goddess Diana. So people came from all over the world to worship a goddess of fertility. Now, I, I want you to, again, contrast this with the current American culture, okay? A goddess of fertility. Let's look at the picture here. This is, a, uh, this is uh, what is uh, believed to, to, to have looked like, much like the Parthenon. It was built uh, to, uh, you know, again, to, to be a place of international worship. Uh, I'll look at this next uh, slide, if you could. Uh, people are gathered there. It was a magnificent building. And into this great city, okay, down the principal column line thoroughfare from the Great Harbor, every city had a Roman road with columns on both sides so the emperor could come in or, or one of his uh, governors could come in in a chariot with uh, soldiers. Uh, down this thoroughfare, looking up ahead, to the massive amphitheater. My wife and I have been in that amphitheater. It could seat about, it seats about 30,000 people. It's still there. Okay. Looking to the left, looking to the right at the splendor of this city. Every single person in this city is a pagan. Into this city walked a little Jew by the name, by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And now you got to picture this. Okay. Who are you? So Paul is walking into the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It is a magnificent city. There's not anybody in there who has heard anything about Jesus of Nazareth. There, there are no churches. There are no Bible studies. There are no home groups. There are, there's no Sunday school literature. There's not even a New Testament. There's nothing. Imagine that. Uh, I did a lot of work in the last year with Frontiers, which is an organization. It's based in Tempe, and they send they send teams of Christians 
uh, usually a, uh, two or three couples, they go into an, er- an area, uh, a Muslim area, an unreached area where no one has ever heard the gospel, and they move into that area, and they s- set up a business, and they meet friends in the neighborhood, and, and the average length of time they go there is a seven years, and at, at the end of seven years, they may have three or four people who have come to Jesus. it's just incredible the kind of devotion some people have because their eyes are opened to what's really important. Meanwhile, you know, we lose it because our garage door opener isn't working. Okay, so into this city, it's completely pagan, comes the Apostle Paul. Look, Look at this next slide here. If you would, this is the Roman road. It's still there, and uh, it used to go down to the ocean, which is retreated. It's This whole valley is filled in with seat, silt over the last... 2,000 years, and, and that's, a, that's a picture from the amphitheater. You can see the amphitheater, and it's in this amphitheater. There's a huge riot in Ephesus um, when Paul comes into the city because he preaches Jesus, and, and it's actually affecting people dramatically and quickly, and there's a, a riot. So this is the amphitheater. We've been in there. We were in there with 3,000 Christians praying uh, for Turkey, uh, and uh, so he came down that road. And uh, <clears throat> within a short time, the whole city was in an uproar. Tens of thousands gather in this great amphitheater to protest, and they yell and scream, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Okay. We're not just talking about the Democratic National Convention. Okay, I'm just, you know, I, I know that most of you probably in this church are, are conservatives, and the, you know, so conservatives are, are, you know, they're, they're just like, this is the end of the world, you know. Uh, you got to know this was this was so difficult. It took three hundred years before Christianity actually became legal in the Roman Empire. Three hundred years. America isn't even three hundred years old. So, Paul, who are you? The question is, who are you? Okay. So, who does Paul think he is? Uh, they're they're yelling. Great is Diana of the, of, the, of the Ephesians. We want to give you a glimpse of Diana. I'm glad all the children have left. Okay, this is Diana. This, they're, they're worshiping Diana, the goddess of fertility. Okay, now you can move on. All right. Okay, it's, it's into this city. It's, in, it's to the people living in this pagan city to whom Paul writes this letter. He's writing to Christians who are living in the shadow of the temple of Diana. You think we have culture wars in America. Uh, you know, th- you think America is on the doorstep of death, okay? It ain't nothing like Ephesus. So what we're going to read in Ephesians is crazy amazing. What Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 is crazy amazing. Knowing what this ancient city Ephesus was like makes me think that Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, was either onto something or Paul was on something. Okay? You don't write this stuff. In fact, you can go home and read this and you're going to say it's going to make your head spin. What is he talking about? It's, it's just, it's either like cosmic or convoluted. So, there are four things that we're going to learn. I'm going to simplify this for you because Paul says a lot about God and our relationship with God. I'm going to really simplify this. I'm going to read through it. You're going to have some questions. I'll never be able to answer all of them, but I want to just give you a summary here. Paul, um, 
The first thing that Paul says, okay, we, we write this, you can write this down. Number one, you are the chosen frozen. Okay? You are, see, this really fits well with this morning. Okay, you are chosen by the Father. Who are you? You know, when your life is spinning out of control, when things in your life are going sideways or south or however you want to describe it, and, you know, you've you got to remind yourself who, who you are, okay? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And you have been chosen by the Father. You were in the Father's heart, not just before you were born, but before the world began. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and the beginning in verse uh, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise. Now, he begins here. This is so kind of crazy, amazing. Uh, Bible, Bible scholars will tell you that the whole of Ephesians chapter 1 in the Greek is one sentence. Okay, one sentence it, with with you know with a lot of commas uh, that there aren't multiple sentences here. Like so, Paul is just you know he's just writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, "Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now keep in mind, you know, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is right there, the Temple of Diana. People are up there worshiping on that. It's up on the top of the hill. It overlooks the city. And Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And there are a couple things that I just want to uh, highlight here. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Okay, I want to talk about that phrase in a minute. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, uh, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us before, before what? The creation of the world in love he predestined us. I want to talk about that. And uh, you'll probably never come back. Uh, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters uh, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now it makes sense of that. Heavenly realms. I got one word. Heavenly realms. You can write, uh, let's see, did we, um, did you go back? Yeah, okay, that's great. Anyway, heavenly realms. There's one word, if you want to fill in the word there, I don't know if this is in the PowerPoint, but there's one word that that speaks to me about. It's reality. What is real? What really matters? You know, we, we kind of experienced this at Christmas, right? You come here on Christmas Eve, you know, you sort of want to get a grip. You want to kind of bring God into the craziness of the holidays. And you got to you t- talk to your kids and say, the really important message of Christmas is that Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins. So what is real? Pa- Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? The Greek word for truth actually means a reality. It's not just what is correct. You know, what what is what doctrines do you hold and are they exactly correct? But what's real? Paul said the things that can be seen pass away, but the things that cannot be seen are, are eternal. 
So we look not to the things, this is an odd statement, we look not to the things which can be seen, but to the things which cannot be seen. Because the things that can be seen are transient. They, they pass away. Heavenly realms, reality. Why do we go to church? Okay. Why do we read the Bible and pray? Why do we need Christian fellowship? Why do we need small groups? Because we need perspective. We need to be reminded because we are so distracted. We need to be reminded about what's real. And this is how Paul begins his chapter, in the heavenly realms. Okay. Second phrase he uses, he predestined us. <clears throat> he predestined us. Um, you were in God's heart before the world began. There are no random events in your life. There are no accidents. You are not an accident. You were in the heart of God before the world began. <clears throat> People struggle with uh, this whole idea of predestination. <clears throat> I have a very simple way to explain it. It's not very doctrinal, but it's very practical. When you look back over your life, do you see the hand of God working? Now, when you look at the future, that's uncertain. But when I look back over my life, it's a it's a story. It's a tapestry of the work of God. I look back, even in the most difficult times, I see the hand of God working in my life. You know, and I and I when my I, I look at my family history. I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. I look at my family history, and my, my daughter has has like five generations of, of pictures of people uh, hanging on her stairway wall. So you got to walk by, literally 150 years of family history. And those people getting married and having children and those people having children. And here I am. And here you are. And how all of this kind of fits, if all of this, not kind of, all this fits into this amazing plan. And when you became a Christian, <clears throat> you know, you say, people say, <clears throat> I found the Lord. I didn't know he was lost. I thought you were lost. I thought all we like sheep have gone astray. I thought Jesus came not only to save us, but to seek us and to find us. And you know, there was a moment when you just, what could you say? My uncle, he's still living. He's 88. He's a World War II veteran. Uh, was an airplane mechanic on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. And uh, he, he my, my grandfather was a pastor and he hung out at my grandfather's, my grandparents' house, and Rudy. And uh, he was raised Catholic, and he had a lot of questions about religion, and, you know, just talked about religion. And he had this issue and that issue and this question and that question. And, and uh, <clears throat> before he and my, my aunt, my mother's sister, got married, Rudy had an experience, a personal experience with Jesus. Jesus appeared to him in his bedroom in the middle of the night, stood at the foot of his bed. When he talks about this today, he cries. And Jesus said something like this, Rudy, when are you going to, when are you going to give your life to me? And Rudy said, this would be a good time. <laughs> okay, so, you know, what is predestination? You know, so, well, I have a choice in the matter. The apostle Paul, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul fell on his face. It was an explosion, a blinding light. Jesus says, how long are you going to resist me? 
What does Paul say? I, I need another 30 days to think about this. What are you going to do? You know, and all of us have had those kinds of experiences. So what this, this plan that God has for us, we enter that plan when God comes into our life in a very powerful and personal way. And that's so encouraging. Okay, so who are you people? You are chosen by the Father. Secondly, you are redeemed by the Son. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> to him we have redemption through his blood. <clears throat> to him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace uh, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times uh, will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You know, don't you want to say, Paul, you're, you're on, onto something here, man, but I don't know exactly what it is, or maybe you're on something. So in him we have redemption. When the Father, What the Father began when he chose us, Jesus finishes by redeeming us. You see, it wasn't possible for God to finish his plan because there was an interruption called sin. And so God had this plan, but it was interrupted, and he interrupted the interruption by sending his son, Jesus. And uh, he, he did it to bring all things in heaven and in earth together under one head, even Christ Jesus. Now, this is a very powerful statement. You know, he didn't do all of this just to make your life better. I'm praying for your eyes to be open. Being a follower of Jesus is not just about making your life better, but giving you a new life and a message about that new life to make your whole world better. And it says here that God, God had this plan for you, and then he sent his son to redeem us. We are chosen by the Father. We're redeemed by the Son. And, and then, and in the end, he wants to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head under one head, even Christ. And this is what everybody longs for. When you see a bumper sticker that says coexist with the symbols of all the religions, or you see on a bumper that says pray for world peace, this is in everybody's heart. Everybody wants the world to be right. The world is not right. Your family isn't right. Your neighborhood isn't right. You know, I, I work, I, you know, I've worked on the inside of human services with people in the Department of Economic Services, with the governor. I've, I've, I've sat with the governor and other leaders talking about the, the, the overwhelming challenges that we face as a state. And, you know, we want a perfect world where there's no suffering, no hate, no injustice. Everything and everyone together, we long for that. This is what we pray for when we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His name shall be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, of his peace and of his government, there will be no end. So that when Jesus is Lord, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Everything will be right. And we long for that day. 
Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. And the world has all these, you know, the, you know they, go, they want this, but they don't know how to get there. And in some, some cases, it's just flat-out rejection of the message of the gospel. But it's in everybody's heart. You don't have to be religious in some ways to understand this profound stuff. So who are you? you? You are much more than you think you are. God's plan for you is much greater than you think it is. You are chosen by the Father. You're redeemed by the Son. And, and thirdly, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is a really personal matter. The whole Trinity is involved in your life. It's crazy amazing. Um, <clears throat> to, in him we were chosen, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. It's not about you. See? Who are you? What are you doing here? I have preached to hundreds of audiences, thousands of people literally all over the world. And when I look at the faces of the people listening to me, I often ask myself, without preaching this message, who are these people? Do they know who they are? Who are you? Paul is trying to tell these Ephesians all this stuff, people living in the shadow of the temple of Artemis, of Diana. So <clears throat> we read on, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Again, it's not about you. We're marked with a seal. In, in the Greek of the New Testament, um, <clears throat> this is why it helps to go to college and seminary, you know. Anyway, you get to learn this stuff. But in the Greek of the New Testament, <clears throat> where it says here that we're marked with a seal, that's, that is a Greek word that was used uh, for en an engagement ring. Okay? So it's, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. It's, it's a ring of promise that, that there's going to be a wedding someday. All right? Um, our, our youngest son, we've got three, three kids. Our oldest son is in full-time ministry. Our daughter teaches at a junior college. She and her husband teach. He teaches in a Christian high school. And then our youngest son is in the Navy. And he, he was a music student. Um, and uh, his, his grand philosophy of life has always been, it's no big deal. He's our youngest son. He's a musician. Now, he met a, a young woman in the in the School of Music at Biola University in Southern California. He was a trumpet major. She was a piano major. And uh, she asked him, uh, just they were, a bunch of kids were going to dance, and she had a boyfriend, and they, he was out of state, and they went to this dance, and they just, something clicked. And <clears throat> he, ro he romanced her for several years. It's a, it's a long and wonderful and funny story. And, uh, and so, and now they're seniors and they plan to get, they, they don't want to get, they're going to be get married someday. You know, they're, they're really committed to each other. They're seniors in college. Um, Marilyn met her parents for the first time before I met them. And the first thing that her father asked Marilyn was, so what's Matt going to do when he graduates from college? And Marilyn said, 
If you find out, let us know. <laughs> you know, dads kind of want to know what, what, their, what, their, what their son-in-law is going to do. So, I mean, it's just no big deal, you know. And so now it's, it's senior year, and I'm telling him, Matt, you know, Kate is going to want an engagement ring before the end of the year. She's going to share it with her friends, and you can't wait until, you know, the night before you, the wedding rehearsal. You can't get engaged at the wedding rehearsal. So, so anyway, he, he uh, you know, he asked Dad, it's no big deal, you know. And uh, so, you know, it was like two weeks before they graduate. Maybe it was two weeks, and he had to practice Friday night. You know, they're, they're running out of Friday nights, Saturday nights, and it's Friday night. He wants to practice for his, his senior recital. That's what he tells Kate. And, uh, and she, you know, in the back of her mind, what are we going to do? So they meet the music building, you know, after dinner. They don't go out to dinner. They meet in the music building. And uh, what Matt did is he got, he got the ring. He got a ring for Kate, and he put it into an envelope, and then he st- stuck it into the piano and kind of between the, between the strings and the piano, the wires. So Kate sat down. He's going to do, he's going to practice for his auditions. Kate sat down, and, and uh, she, it, it, the piano's going, blah, 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 blah. she says, there's something wrong with this piano. And she, she's a, a, a very intense woman. And... Uh, <laughs> She, you know, he's laid back. That's how, you know, you get, you know, intense women are attracted to laid back men and then, and then they, they work on those two things the rest of their life. So, or the other way around, you know. So, so anyway, she says something. So he lifts up the lid on the piano. She says, there's an envelope stuck in the piano. And she, she pulls it out and she opens up. She says, somebody's ring is in this en- envelope. He had turned the spotlights on, you know, on the, on the platform. And and uh, and so here's a sparkling ring, and he realized and he got down on his knees and said, "Kate, will you marry me?" And of course, she just flipped out, you know, and ran out of the music building, across the campus, screaming and yelling. It wasn't quite like that, but uh, Marilyn and I got engaged, and you know, when we got engaged, we were in college, and she showed her friend, every friends, you know, it's like the ring. You got you want to show everybody the ring, and you know what it means? It means that you are betrothed. You are committed to somebody that a wedding is coming and you know in the new testament uh to be engaged and to break the engagement was like a divorce and this this happened i'll tell tell this story next week a little bit more but my grand my grand my when my mother got engaged and then the man she was engaged to broke the engagement he was a seminary student my grandfather wrote to the seminary and told the seminary that they should refuse to ordain him because he broke the engagement So you've got to understand in the Bible, engagement wasn't just like a cool thing. And it tells us that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that God has given us the engagement ring, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys have a hard time relating to this, sort of. But, uh, you know, it's, it's that you, you have been marked with the Spirit of God, and you, you have a ring that says you belong. I got a ring that says I belong to somebody, and I'm in a covenant with somebody. And you have a ring that you can't see, but it's, it's a mark that's been placed on you, the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed in your salvation so that no matter what happens, the love of God is going to carry you to the last day of your life into eternity. <clears throat> I've been in churches where people, when I say something like that, they say, Hallelujah! All right. So, so now lastly, so who are you? 
You are much more than you think you are. God's plan for you is much greater than you think it is. You are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son. You are sealed by the Spirit. And number four, you are empowered to be and do everything that God calls you to be and do. So where is your life taking you? Look what Paul writes. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I love this. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. What for? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Okay, we're moving toward the future, folks. It's The past does not have a grip on us. We're moving toward the future. We've got a hope. And so your eyes need to be open to see what God has called you to be, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And look at this phrase. And the incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power for us who believe. Would you say that with me? The incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's say it again. The incomparably great power for us who believe. Because you've been chosen by the Father, you've been redeemed by the Son, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's all for a reason. God has given you his power to accomplish his kingdom purposes in your life and in your world. It's incredible. It's crazy amazing. You know, we can be in the shadow of the most pagan, the darkest, the most satanic, the most evil things. But your eyes need to be open to the incomparably great power that's been given to you to rise above that, to walk through it, to trample it down if that's necessary, to pray for victory in your life. Paul says that power, what kind of power? That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and dominion, power and dominion, uh, and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way would you please stand you are much more than you think you are. And God's plan for you is much greater than you can imagine. Who are you? What is this church, this little gathering of people here huddled in <clears throat> the meat locker of one community church on a Sunday morning? Who are you? And what, what meaning does your life have? You've been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and empowered by God to do his will in and through you. Would you pray this after me? Heavenly Father, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad I'm here. Nothing in my life is random. Your word is amazing. 
Your plan for me is amazing. I've been chosen by you, Father God. Jesus, you've redeemed me. Holy Spirit, you've sealed me. You keep me close to God. Even when I'm wandering, you've sealed me. And God, you've given me the power of the resurrection to rise above all the death around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.